Anyone who says that money does not matter probably has never been without money or has had somebody always paying their bills. If you want to understand a lot of motivation of people, just watch ants and sugar. Everything is connected. Two bandits. I'm 16 years old and I'm in Texas. I have slivers in my hands because I am working without gloves, picking up two by fours and carrying them to the carpenters who were pounding the nails. The wind is blowing sand everywhere, and it's not even minimum wage, but I have not had to show anyone ID, and each evening I get an envelope with cash. It's some housing development going up outside of El Paso, and they've got a few trailers set up as bunkhouses. And just across the interstate is a convenience store where I go and I buy food. Everyone yells at me in a drawl, hurry up. And I stuttered then and I did not know how to look people in the eye and tell them to leave me alone. So when they asked me to, I took the other laborers' money and I did what they said and I ran across the interstate each evening and I went to the store to buy them cigarettes and beer. But this evening the girl says, no way you're old enough for this. I have no idea what to do, since she has sold me beer before. It's n not, not for me, I stammer, and I point out the open door, I point, past the bug zapper going nuts with mosquitoes, pointing towards the framed skeletons of the new houses whose roof peaks are silhouetted by the evening sky. Blue flashes from the bug zapper and diesel fumes from the trucks, cheap beer and camels, my loaf of bread, my half pound of cheddar. Geez, she says, what have you done to your hands? And then she is reaching across the counter, holding my outstretched hand, looking at the festering from the slivers that I've gouged at and worried over. She's a few years older than me, and she's in trouble, too. I know. I just know. Something in the way that she held onto my hand and the way she looks at me and the way she asks again, What have you been doing? And this time, I don't stutter when I answer. I just say, Working without gloves. Jeez, she says. I'll give you a pair of gloves, but you go and wash and put some stuff on those cuts. She is direct like this, dropping my hand, walking out into the aisles, getting some medicine, and then coming back and saying, Here, you go into the bathroom now and use this. I'll ring up all this while you take care of yourself. Later, she would explain how she had noticed me each of the evenings that I had come in. She would tell me that I seemed like someone she could, as she said, disappear with the long drawl, the long R, brought to music, to a wonderful, wonderful moment. Because when she is telling me this, we are disappearing together. But this doesn't happen yet, not this first interaction. I've scrubbed my blisters and my cuts, and I am back to my insecure, runaway self. Out from the restroom into the fluorescence of potato chips and magazines. 
Someone is in line at the register. The girl is ignoring me. When it is my turn, I hand her the medicine back, but she says, throw it in there. And she shrugs towards the paper bag where she has put everything as well as a pair of gloves. I pull cash out of my pocket and hand it to her. But she says, put that in the bag too. Screw this place. All while not looking at me, all while staring through the open door, past the swarms of insects, over the interstate, deep into the darkening desert night. You, you sure? I stammer. She sighs and she turns and she faces me. And then she leans fast and way over the counter and puts both her hands on my shoulders and pulls me towards her and then she kisses me. Christ, she says, you so stupid, you don't know that I'm giving you a present. Now get out of here before someone else comes in. And she pushes me hard and I nearly fall over, but I don't. I grab the bag, I keep my face turned down and I go outside. I taste cinnamon from her flavored lipstick. She has long red hair. Her arms and her face are tanned. And when she leaned over to kiss me, I saw her bare midriff, the faded jeans, and the top hint of white underwear. It's the first kiss. All the details remain. And more. I remember everything. I went back to the trailer full of drifters and bums, and I put their beer and cigarettes on the card table, and I put some cash there, too. And when they started arguing over the exact change and yelling at me, I ignored them, and I climbed up into my bunk, and I thought about her until I fell asleep, not having eaten, just wanting to keep feeling her hands on my shoulders, her mouth on mine. She would tell me the first day we were traveling together, I am crazy for sure, so you know it. Just remember it, and don't be expecting nothing. But I had had a full day before she says this, and I have the day after she has kisses me, and I have the hope of expectation. I'm wearing the gloves she has given me, and I'm running with the lumber, and I'm running to make the day go faster, trying to figure out what had happened and what is going to happen. That evening when I go across the interstate and into the store again, she is working, ringing up purchases. I spend a lot of time picking out my next day's food. I don't bother with the beer and cigarettes, and I wait for her. But each time one customer leaves, another comes in. Finally, the store is empty, and she is putting my stuff in a bag. Again, she doesn't take my money. I try to say something, but I can't, and she laughs. Not me, not nervous. She just laughs, and she says, You came back. I thought I had scared you off, scared you for sure. I'm able to answer. You, you did, but you did, but I came back. I smile. And now this was a lot of words for me then, and I stood there waiting, and a few seconds go by, and she is looking at me. And she looks around quickly. And then she says, I just came to this place last week. I think I'm ready to take off right now. You want to come with me? I don't understand her, but I nod my head and I say, sure. She says, good. 
They owe me this. This is okay. And just like that, she opens the register and scoops all the bills out and puts them in with my groceries. She closes the register and says, Now you go outside and you wait for me. Nothing that I could touch had ever been calm for me. No childhood of stability, no certainty. But I felt then, walking out into the dusk, that I would know nothing clearer nor more real than what I knew at that moment. I felt that I could trust this person to tell me what to do and that together we would be fine. I'm outside, and then she is out there too, and she asks, you have a car? And when I shake my head no, she says, Great, I sure can pick them. Okay, you feel like hitching with me? I think you know how it's done. I know how it's done, I say, looking at the highway. I don't tell her that I've been catching rides for nearly two years now. I don't tell her this because I think she already knows me knows everything about me, like she heard in my stutter or had seen in the history of the miles and the lines on my hands. I look at the highway. I can catch a ride straight off. I don't need anything. All I have in that trailer is an old sleeping bag and clothes that are in a tattered pack. I look at her. Things are bad enough for her, too, that she doesn't have anything either. She has put some loose cash into a paper sack and picked a 16-year-old to help her continue her escape. She takes the money from the bag and she counts it fast and she says, $39? Cheap-ass place. But she shoves it in her pocket and asks, Where to? I tell her that West is Arizona, but she says, Florida is the other way. Let's go there. So we walk onto the eastbound ramp, and it is an evening with good traffic, and we get a ride in a minute. Into the desert. The driver's been driving all day. He stops a few times to get us to go out with him and into the true darkness and look up. All these stars, he says. You cannot see these stars from San Diego. He's on military leave, driving straight through to Mineral Wells, a town in the middle of Texas. We have to keep him awake. And I find out her name. It's Maggie. She hears mine, too, and tells me that I look like my name. She says, you look like a Steve. The driver laughs about us just having met. She goes into the back seat and falls asleep there. I stay up front and I lean my head against the passenger window and I fall asleep as the driver sings along with radio that's coming from 500 miles away. He wakes us up near dawn. It is where he turns off the highway to go north. There is nothing there except the crossing of two roads. He gives us two old blankets from the trunk. Light is just coming in the eastern sky but it is still teal black to the west. There is no traffic on either road, and it is silent. She says to me, Hey, let's sleep together. And I don't know what to do, but my heart is beating fast, and I am smiling. She spreads the blankets out in the scrub, there next to sagebrush and the small juniper trees. 
She kneels and pulls me down. Her hands go to my face and I just lie still. Then her hands find my shoulders and move along my sunburned arms to my hands. She pulls on my fingers, lightly touching the cuts from where the slivers had been. She breathes close against my face. I say her name, and she kisses my neck, and she kisses my face, and she brings a hand up and runs it through my tangled hair, and she moves her other hand down to my belt, to my worn-out jeans, and into them, and she makes me shudder. I laugh and I move with her, and her mouth is on mine, and her hair is in my eyes, and the day is moments away, but we are in our own darkness and our own space. Headlights move along the highway, taillights fade, we are both just runaways, and together we are canceling out everything before each other, leaving only our bodies, our mouths, and our hands. There is no longer any loneliness in the world. Do you understand this? Have you ever been so young? The wind comes again and the desert swirls about us and we are both awake and both of us are hungry and thirsty and we're there in the bright sunlight. She is curled about me and I am still holding her and we are both covered in dust and I am not as young as I was the day before. This time I kiss her, first kissing her hair and then her ears and then her closed eyes. Neither of us moves. Neither of us says anything. But we are there again with each other, ignoring the wind. Then the hunger is gone, and she is on top of me, and I am on top of her. And we don't care that there are cars going by now on the highway. We just don't care if we are close or far. I hold her feet, and I rub her toes. I feel her throbbing, and I taste her. And I am 16, and though everything is wrong, it is also so right that there are no more words. Then thirst and hunger come back, and the world of barbed wire and asphalt. And we are there again, standing, waiting for a ride that takes us into some small town's cafe. And we use some of the cash for a big breakfast of eggs and potatoes and huge glasses of orange juice and a pitcher of ice cubes and water and bread and jam. And she eats more than I do, and she says to me, In Florida, maybe we'll get jobs in a restaurant like this one. In the bathroom, I wash my face, and I take a long look at myself. Leaving home, never a direction, never a plan. Now, though, there are both. East, to find some job by the ocean in Florida. I will wash dishes, and I will whistle songs, and she will be there. And I hurry out of the restroom to get back to her again, to reach across the table and hold her hand for a moment, asking with my hand, my hand which does not stutter, are you really here? Like she knows what I'm thinking, and she giggles, and she slaps at my hand, and she says, now that was sweet last night, but don't go expecting more. I'm like a bird, and I will most likely just take off as fast as I showed up. I don't believe her, and I tell her I don't believe her. I say that I'll take care of her, and she just says, You can't even buy beer without me. You were just around at the right time, that's all. You just wanted to get away from that job, that's all. You and I are just traveling, that's all.
and I don't say a thing, but I instead I stare at the floor looking for patterns, looking for anything that will connect and keep going. We catch rides all day, and by nighttime we are out of Texas and into Louisiana, and we sleep in a grove of trees in a median strip outside of Shreveport. First there are mosquitoes that are biting us through the blankets, and then it starts to rain, and it pours. We walk along the road toward the bright lights that we see about a mile away, which turn out to be from an all-night truck stop. We go in and we use up the last of the $39 on another large meal. Then we start asking truck drivers for a ride, and a waitress tells us to leave and tells us that we can't bother the customers. Outside it is midnight raining. We each have a blanket over our shoulders, and I think she looks lovely, like she is a bandit from Mexico. And I laugh and I tell her what I am thinking, but she doesn't think it's funny. Instead, she tells me that we ate too much and that we should have saved some money for tomorrow. She looks at the Western Union decal that is on the window of the truck stop, and she asks me if I have anyone I can call who can wire us some money. I tell her that I don't, and then she repeats again, I sure can pick them. And I point to the highway and to an underpass that is at the end of the on-ramp. There's a large street lamp there, and I explain that we can climb up under the bridge there and be out of the rain, and she says, Geez, but she starts walking with me onto the on-ramp. A semi-truck pulls out of the truck stop and comes up slow behind us. We both turn and face into its headlights and hold out our thumbs as it passes, and then it stops about a hundred feet ahead of us. By the time we run up to where it is pulled over, the driver has swung down from his cab and is standing by the passenger door. He is wearing a white cowboy hat and a bright red shirt and a new pair of jeans. And he's smiling at Maggie. And then he says, never even looking at me, I saw you back there. I recognize him as one of the drivers who was in the restaurant, and I ask, how, how, how far are you going? He answers, still without looking at me. Now hold on there. I only have room for one. And then he continues, I can take you all the way to Macon, all the way. I warned you, she said. I done warned you, I'm sorry, but I think I'm going with this guy. I try to talk, to say anything, to ask her, what is she doing? But instead, I stutter, and then she is climbing into the truck's cab, and she stops before she closes the door, and she says, you want this? And then she tosses me her blanket, and I catch it, and I look up at her, and again she says, sorry. And then she adds, people just come along, you know? Now I am the bandit with two blankets. But there's nothing funny. It's just a highway bridge, and then the morning, and then the rides back to the west, back to where there is space to escape into, back to the beginning of everything.
You just listened to Two Bandits, a chapter from Absurd and Vast, here on the podcast Montana Voice. Words and Harmonica by me, Steve Saroff. Thanks for listening this far, and if you want to keep hearing more of what's slowly being pieced together, uh, go to iTunes and leave an honest review. Or share this with somebody you think might like it. And again, even though I said it once, said it twice, thanks for listening.